So every time spring and summer roll around, I'm mm, kind of painfully reminded that I do not have a green thumb. Those of you who've seen my backyard, you don't have to raise your hands, but you know that I'm telling the truth. You can attest to that. Uh, we've got a few people in our congregation who do have green thumbs. They really know how to, they just know how to grow stuff. They just know how to do this. They know how to cultivate the land. They know how to make it fruitful. They know like how much water. They know what, uh, how much and what kind of fertilizer to use. They know uh, what's the best soil. They know how much shade or sun. They know how hardy or how fragile a plant is. And, and they know this beyond just because they Google it. They just, they know how to grow stuff. They know how to do this. They just know how to use those God-given resources of, of water and sun and soil to very fruitful ends. So I'm a little jealous of them, if you can't tell. But I'm jealous of them for biblical reasons. You're going, wait a minute, hold on, that's, that's a foul. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jealous for biblical reasons. So the world of our, the scriptures, has a very agricultural, agrarian society. Uh, the stories in the Bible, the images in the Bible, the culture of the scriptures, it's just saturated with uh, the daily realities, like cultivating crops, uh, celebrating a harvest, uh, enduring drought and famine. They just had this stronger and more immediate connection to the land and the food and the sustenance that it gave them. They seemed to know more intimately that God is the one who creates it and gives it to them, and their job was just to steward it. I mean, that's in the good days, I'd say. So I sort of imagine all our green thumbers here, they have kind of an advantage when they read the scriptures because they understand experientially this part of the scriptures in a way that to me is just kind of theoretical. I don't really know it in that way. Because they work in the dirt, they, they kind of get it. So green thumbers, I see one or two here today. Rejoice. We have two very earthy parables in Mark 4 about working the earth and kind of getting spiritual dirt under our fingernails. So that's what we'll be. So Mark 4, 26 or 32. I'm going to focus on 33 and 34. So Mark being our minimalist gospel author, right? He's church to the point. He's our Hemingway. He doesn't record many parables. Um, of Jesus. So the ones he does highlight, I think are awful important. So in Mark 4, Jesus tells several parables, and some of them are very familiar to you, um, comparing the kingdom of God to cultivating a crop. And Jesus loved to compare the kingdom of God to um, things like this in his parables. He spoke about the kingdom of God a lot in his parables. So these are earthy, relatable stories that connected with the everyday experience of um, folks at that time. So a very familiar parable kicks it off. The sower. Everybody's heard this. That's the beginning of chapter 4. Remember that the man sows seed. It falls on different types of soil. Some is good soil and the seed takes root and it grows and others not so much and it perishes for various reasons. That's what kicks off Mark 4. And that's going to, we're going to build off that in Mark 4, 26 or 34. Jesus talks a lot about sowing seeds, planting hoping for growth, waiting for a good harvest. Sowing seeds was a pretty common, also a very ancient way of describing formation, how things look to be formed inside our hearts. So you're scattering seed in hopes of growth. And what Jesus is really getting at is that seeds are meant to take root and to grow. This is the soil, the human heart. That's what they're meant for. So two parables this morning build off that and Jesus is gonna expand on that. So have the sower in your mind as we move into these two parables. Now the first one, and I'm gonna read it for us, just to refresh you. And he said, the kingdom of God is, that, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the air. So it's probably corn or something. Uh, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. It's a unique parable. Mark Silmot tells us. And to be honest, as far as parables go, you know what this is? This is like a world-class snoozer. Absolute snoozer. The parable of the seed growing, and there's not much that happens, right? Imagine if I said, let me tell you a story. The kingdom of God is like watching paint dry. Would you go, oh gosh, you really have my attention. Can't wait to hear this one. No. This is boring on one level. Or is it? Uh, I think it's deceptive because it reminds us that God is quietly and steadily at work in all the mundane day and doubt realities that we all have of life. It's slow. It's steady. It's unspectacular, this growth. Right? That happens. Sanctification. I think this could be called, and I'm tempted to call it the parable for ordinary time, the season that we're in right now. It's the parable for ordinary time. Growth happening. Uh, sometimes slowly and unseen. But all the seeds that God planted in us during those intense months, remember this from Advent to Pentecost? Pretty intense. Now these things are gestating and they're growing quietly in the soil of our hearts. Out of sight and unseen. But I don't want us to miss, even though this seems like, again, I called it boring, uh, that was tongue-in-cheek. There's still something very mysterious and miraculous about what God is doing here. Because his power is still at work, even though it's not this big, miraculous moment. It is mysterious. I say that because those seeds are hidden in the dark earth. They're hidden away from human eyes. Okay? And it's miraculous because, I mean, look, seeds don't have to grow. They do not have to produce life at all. They only do so because God designed them to do that. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself. Okay? God built it that way. So this is creation preaching to us, reminding us that God has designed it to bring forth life. So there's fruitfulness, there's ripeness. That is the point, and it's all brought about in God's time. That's sort of the other piece of it. So some of God's miracles, I'm going to say, they occur over time. And I think growth is one of them. Okay? So I see it as miraculous and mysterious. Luther says it this way, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. Okay? Story is there. So mysterious, miraculous. And Jesus, I think, would have us pay attention to this mysterious miracle. It's easy to overlook. Again, it looks boring. Who cares? A seed growing? I don't want to hear a parable about that. Well... But he wants us to see the mysterious miracle in this. So much so that in this parable, you notice the person doing the sowing, they contribute nothing to the growth of the seed. Nothing. It's all about, it just happens, right? The earth produces by itself. Verse 28, the sower here is none the wiser. He or she's none the wiser. It is a mystery. It says, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Verse 27. So Jesus isn't suggesting that you don't tend to the crop, right? Just leave it be and expect growth. Any farmer will tell you that does not work. No, I think Jesus is exhorting us. He isn't saying just go passively sit on your hands uh, and contribute nothing to cultivating this harvest. Don't do that. I think what he is saying is this. There's a focus he's trying to get at. He's focusing our attention on the power of the person, capital P, who makes the seed grow, which is God. That's the point. That's the real miracle. Without the seed you got nothing. Without the seed growing, which God provides, you have nothing. So that is the miracle. 
Okay? It's not about the successful agricultural practices of a certain soul. It's not about that. Grace works in the deep hidden soul of the human heart. And that's a mystery to us. It's the train of God, right? We don't see. Or if we glimpse it, it's something we see through a glass darkly. So the kingdom of God is like a seed. More specifically, this seed, I would say, is about God's reign, kingdom or rule, right? Uh, taking root here, the human heart. So the seed may be hidden. It may be near impossible to detect. But it is meant to come to fruition. It's meant to be formed fully in us. It's meant to manifest. It's meant to become visible at some point in God's timing. Okay? God's word never just remains hidden in our hearts. You know, it's kind of like you meet the Lord. It's not meant to be kept yourselves. Hide it under a bushel. No, and let it shine. All that. It's supposed to, at some point, become visible. To sprout. To become fruitful. To bear fruit in our lives. That's what season signed to do. Okay? So Jesus is kind to remind us that it's a process to go from seed to crop. You know, it isn't that, again, this is the process. This is the growth. It isn't happening in an instant. It's these, uh, how would I put it? Our growth, I would say, is a series of baby steps, right? Baby steps. That's our formation. That's how it looks. I mean, uh, look at verse 28. All these stages in before the harvest. There's first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in there. There's a progression there of growth, right? So we're all works in progress, reminds us of that. God is growing us in different ways unto maturity and fruitfulness. It reminds me a lot of 2 Peter 3.18, the process of growing in grace. That's the phrase I want to underline. Growing in grace, maturing in Christ, right? The movement from milk to solid food takes time, but that is the trajectory that God is aiming for. Growth, movement, fruit. But let's not miss the obvious in the parable. And I'm kind of pulling back on the sower here. The obvious. For growth to happen, somebody's got to throw the seed out. Okay? Somebody's got to throw it. Who's the sower here? Who's the sower? You and I. We are given seed. Jesus entrusts us with this task. He gives us seed to sow. So we're stewards of that. We're stewards of this mysterious, miraculous, life-bearing gift of God. Someone's got to scatter. Somebody's got to throw it out. Though we don't control the outcome. Okay? Can't make your growth happen. That's God's job. But I think there is an implicit call to faithfulness here. Scatter seeds. Scatter seeds wherever you go. Speaking on that seed, that reality of scattering seed, J.C. Rowell says this. Grace in the heart of man is an exotic. That good? It's a new principle from outside, sent down from heaven, and implanted in his soul. That's the seed. Left to himself, no man living would ever seek God. And without a sower, we can't expect corn from where no seed has been sown. It's just elementary. In other words, you know, how's the world going to know about Jesus unless they're told about him, unless he's lived out before them, unless seed is cast out far and wide. And moreover... (laughs) unless that seed is at work in us first, right? It has to be real here for us to share in a powerful way about the love of Jesus and to cast out that seed. So I think faithfulness is the end goal here. That ripe grain that Jesus talks about uh, towards the end, verse 29 of this particular parable, right? Because a harvest awaits, that's the reason, okay? Fruitfulness is aiming towards a harvest of sorts. 
Jesus is pulling in the Old Testament. He'll do it again in the next parable, too. This is Joel 3.13. It's about a farmer and a sickle. Okay? We'll see that same imagery in Revelation. Okay? Harvests and sickles tend to be very eschatological. They're about the end times. They tend to be about judgment. This harvest is about Jesus' second coming. So the seed's taken root. It's born fruit. And now the Lord of the harvest, Jesus, has returned. This is the end of days. And Jesus is going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the grain from the husks, uh, the sheep and the goats. But that breaks the metaphor a little bit. The harvest awaits. That's what, that's what this is aiming towards. It has a trajectory that it's all headed towards. Uh, anybody here, I keep dating myself with these examples, but I'm going to do it again. Anybody here remember Gallo wine? The big jug? Like, came like, I think it was like a gallon and a half. And it's not particularly good, right? Uh, I'm not trying to snub it, but I always thought their slogan was funny. You know, we will serve no wine before it's time. Right? And I was like, you should have waited a lot longer than that wine, brother, because it's not that good. Same thing. That's a harvest idea. We'll serve no wine before it's time. That's kind of, yeah. That's using contrast to paint the picture. The harvest will come. That's my point. That's the point of this movement from seed to fruit or full grain. This harvest will come in God's time and in God's manner. And it's not according to our means or our timetables, right? So God is faithful to do that. Jesus goes on. He's going to build on this. And he gets to the parable of the mustard seed. Read that. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Here he goes again. And what parable shall we use? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. He's using a simile here. The kingdom of God hey, is like a mustard plant. Now, we're almost positive. Don't Google it now. Some of you are going to go to your phones. Don't do it just yet. Uh, we're almost positive Jesus is talking about the black mustard plant. Put that in your head and look at it later. Uh, it was an herb. Used it for cooking and for medicinal purposes. And in good conditions, that sucker could get 9 to 10 feet tall from an itty-bitty seed. So this sounds pretty good, I would say. Sounds impressive, right? This robust, large plant. Uh, good for food and medicine? That sounds sounds kind of redemptive and good pretty impressive right there's only one problem it's essentially an overgrown weed it's a big weed you would never 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 ever plant it on purpose you'd avoid it like the plague because it was a nuisance in gardens it was invasive it's this scruffy scrappy little bush that's not a whole lot to look at you'll see that when you do a google image search but it grew everywhere and just took over your land so you would never planet on purpose so this is fun here's where we got to step into the original audience's shoes jesus did you just say the king of god was like a mustard plant this had to get some chuckles and some eye rolls like oh gosh i hate that stuff but you know let's see where he goes with this modern language you might say uh, king of god's like ragweed or king of god's like termites these are not things that we would go that's good but here's his point the kingdom of God, that seed, that little mustard seed, is unstoppable, and it's tenacious, and it springs up everywhere, and it just goes in every single direction. So that one tiny, puny, little bitty seed, from that comes the largest of plants. Scrappy, sturdy, that's the mustard weed. How about that? So, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to go, this is Jesus talking about the great commission that's going to come, okay? This is the spread of the gospel to all the corners of the earth. 
to all people throughout the world. The book of Acts later going to prove that that seed does take root and spreads like wildfire every direction to the ends of the earth. So I want you to observe with me, step back a little bit from this. Let's observe the sweeping movement that Jesus is describing here. This barely visible, itty bitty, puny, tiny little seed. From that comes a very visible, large plant. And he seems to imply this mustard weed, mustard plant, becomes the greatest of all the garden plants. Which again is funny if you look at it. It's laughable. Jesus, that's what the kingdom of God looks like? That's how you are defining might and strength and power and growth, really? Yeah, it is. That's what he uses to compare his kingdom to. Yep. So, you know, this is Jesus, as he often did, using a little humor and hyperbole to make his point. God takes something very small and very insignificant, and he turns it into a visible, unstoppable force that we know as the mustard plant or mustard weed. I like, God just seems to love the underdog. He just seems to love the dark horse. It's God using things that the world considers utterly foolish unto holy ends, pulling from 1 Corinthians 1, 27. So our Lord's MO is unbelievably consistent, taking small, humble, puny, ordinary things like our flesh and bone and doing wondrous things. So that'll preach. That'll preach. Note that. And here's part of the wonder in the miracle of God doing a whole lot with a very, very little. That mustard plant, this is verse 32, it grows so large that the birds of the air come and nest in it. So Jesus is pulling in the Old Testament again here. In this case, I think it's Ezekiel 17. It's a story where God plants this little tiny cedar twig high on a mountain in Israel. And eventually it becomes this large big tree. And it says that birds of every kind come and, and nest there. Sounds appealing, sounds very positive, but like what on earth does that image really mean? Let's employ the same spiritual logic from the first parable. In the kingdom of God, things are meant to grow. They're meant to move towards life. Seeds are meant to sprout. So let's take that logic. These nesting birds build upon that idea. Let's apply it to this. So mustard seed plant, mustard weed plant, whatever you want to call it, it grows and eventually offers shelter. It offers security. It provides a life beyond itself. Do you see that? It's not just self-sufficient. There's a life to what's been birthed there. So the kingdom of God yields life and flourishing. So this should be comforting, this image to us. It should be assuring to us. I mean, the birds of the air make their homes there. They find shade and they find respite from the heat. So that large overgrown weed becomes a dwelling place and a sanctuary, safe place. It's a, it's a very redemptive image. It's a good image. Uh, I've, it's pretty constant with that concept of shalom, right? Things being made right. Kind of unilaterally because of a troublesome invasive mustard weed and that's what the kingdom of god is like so apparently it's all a matter of perspective okay you guys are lucky you get one of my shorter sermons two takeaways that i see okay and some of you heard this uh i think it's like an old english proverb great oaks from little acorns grow has anyone heard that or some version of that no? Wow. Okay. Great oaks from little acorns grow. So to our eyes, a little acorn, so what? It's insignificant. There are a dime a dozen. They deliver the ground. But it holds so much potential 
because God engineered it that way. Again, this is, the Lord just seems to love the under, underdog. He seems to love that unlikely turn of events. There's a great story about C.S. Lewis and how the Chronicles of Narnia came to be. Uh, when he was a boy, he just had this idea of a fawn, right, which was Mr. Tumnus. You guys remember Mr. Tumnus from the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, okay. I see some, some of you are here, present. That's good. Uh, he just had this idea. I think he was a teenager, 13, 14, and he drew it and just kind of jotted down thought nothing of it. That one image launched that whole series. So all from that little fawn came the Chronicles of Narnia, all those books. Great oaks from little acorns grow, right? Gift from God. But let me give you the scriptural version of that. This is Zechariah 4, 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Am I good? Don't, don't despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. We're finally replanting in Charlotte in a few weeks. Early July, thanks be to God. We hope to sow some good seed there. We hope to sow the gospel there. From a worldly perspective, uh, our church is small potatoes, right? You guys are small. Big deal. We're not a juggernaut church plant with resplendent with all these resources. No. In some sense, I want to go, you know what? All the better. That's good. That's a good thing. Because God seems to revel in small, humble beginnings. He's good with that. I think he prefers that. God's the one who's going to make us fruitful, not like our might or our effort or how big our church budget is. Being small, feeling wobbly in some moments, scrappy in others, right? That reminds us that we're dependent on Jesus. We're totally dependent. And that what makes us small but mighty, which one of our green thumbers reminded me of this past week. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So first takeaway, great oaks from little acorns grow. Okay? Small, humble beginnings. God loves that stuff. I think we lean into that. I think we can be dependent and be unashamed and excited and expectant because of that. Great oaks from little acorns grow. Second takeaway. Again, forgive the obvious, but I just I want, us to, I want us to miss this. God has given us seed to sow. He's given each of you individually seed to sow. He's given us as a church seed to sow. And here's my point, really. Don't underestimate the power of that seed. <laughs> the word of God, the gospel that he's put in our hands. Don't underestimate it. Very often, we do not see the fruit of our labors. Uh, two weeks ago, a dear brother reminded me uh, of some fruit that I couldn't see. And I was very grateful for that. I didn't see it. He's like, no, man, I, here's fruit. Let me show you right here. Didn't see it. It was a pure gift. Okay. So when you see fruit, let's encourage each other with that. Here's where I see life. Here's where I see God at work. Here's some fruit. That's a way that we can say, look at what God is doing. Uh, that helps when we're in seasons where we cannot see fruit or evidence of life. We can do that for each other. Right? Don't underestimate the power of that seed. The word of God, the gospel. And with that, in terms of encouraging each other and saying, hey, I see life here, I see life here, and, and telling that to each other, I think that helps us keep at it. Helps us remain faithful to sowing the good seed of the gospel. Helps us to keep throwing out seed. Not to forget the good work that we've been called to. This is going to be an important practice to encourage one another in this work, I think, as we go along. This new work together. 
So God has given us seed to sow as individuals and as a church. Let's not underestimate the power of that seed of the gospel word of God.